Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome back to Collector's Closet, presented by The Ohio Lottery. Let's discuss my newest prize possession, this new $10 scratch-off, the $500,000 Platinum Jackpot. The best method I've found so far to help it hold its value is to vacuum seal it. This thing cannot get scratched. What's that? Sorry, my producer's telling me the only way it could be worth up to 500 grand is if I do scratch it? Okay, well, in that case, definitely don't overprotect your $500,000 platinum jackpot scratch-offs. Play them. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Hey, it's your host, Carter. I wanted to give you a little bit of a warning. Kids who are under the age of 13 might find some parts of our show a little bit scary, so listener discretion is advised. Now, enjoy the show. Extra, extra, here's an axe man at large in New Orleans. Hello, there is a strange man lurking outside. He was there behind my house, I swear. You have to protect me. He was uh, holding an axe. Please, I don't want to die. I know he's after me. Another axe victim added to Liz. Read all about it. I don't feel safe anymore. How can you feel safe? Murdered. In their own homes. In their own bed. I can't sleep. Yes, I'm serious. I found an axe in my backyard. Shalom. Who's out there? Get away! She's gonna kill me. She's gonna kill us all! Italians are asking, who will be next? Welcome to Unsolved Murders. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Wendy McKenzie. Today, we're continuing our investigation of the sensational case of the Axeman of New Orleans. A serial killer terrorizing the Crescent City. So far, three are dead, with more to follow. And no one is safe. This is episode two. If you missed episode one, you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or any other podcast directory. And our website, parcast.com. That's parcast.com, spelled P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com. As always, if you wish to subscribe to the podcast, go to iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. You'll want to follow along every minute so you don't miss a single twist or turn. Don't forget to visit our Facebook page, Parcast, to join the conversation. Now, back to the Axeman of New Orleans. The cold-blooded murderer who comes and kills in the dead of night. Sneaking into people's homes while they're asleep. And attacking with an axe. He has the entire city on edge because everyone's asking themselves when he'll strike again. And where he'll strike again. And who will be the next victim. Will it be me? The people of New Orleans are wondering if they will make it through the night. But they may not. Because not everyone will. (laughs) 
It's August of 1918. In the last three months, there have been three separate attacks. First in May, at the home of an Italian grocer, Joseph Maggio. Who was in bed with his wife, Catherine. The killer broke in, made his way to the bedroom, and slit the couple's throats with a straight razor. Then he bashed their heads in with an axe. Both of the Maggios died one month later. In June... Louis Bessemer and his mistress Harriet Lowe were attacked in the back of his grocery store. A bread delivery driver discovered them in the morning in a puddle of their own blood. Mr. Bessemer? Again, both had been struck in the head with an axe. The couple actually survived the attack, although Mrs. Lowe died from complications six weeks later. While in surgery to correct the damage to her face. And just last week. On the night of August 5th. The axe man struck for a third time as Ed Schneider returned home late in the evening. After an unusually long day at work. Honey, I'm home. Honey? Honey? He found his wife with her scalp cut open and her face completely covered in blood. Help! Help! I need some help in here! Miraculously, despite the attack, Mrs. Schneider, who was eight months pregnant, not only survived, but gave birth to a healthy baby girl. Still, that's a small silver lining to this gruesome tale, because there is a killer with an axe on the loose. He appears to be attacking at random. The police are at a loss. Three are already dead. And sadly, he's about to strike again. It's August 10th, 1918. Just five days after the Schneider attack. At the home of Joseph Romano, an elderly man who lived with his two nieces, Pauline and Mary Bruno. All was quiet. Until Pauline and Mary were awakened by the sound of a commotion coming from the bedroom of their uncle. What was that? I don't know. Uncle Joseph? As the sisters made their way to the adjourning room, they saw a stranger. Ah! It was a dark-skinned, heavy-set man fleeing. He was dressed in a dark suit with a slouched hat. As he escaped, their attention turned to their uncle. Uncle Joseph, are you all right? Oh, oh my God! Joseph Romano was covered in blood from several deep gashes in his face. He was clearly seriously wounded. Uncle Joseph, we're going to get you help. I saw him. He was terrifying. We need to get an ambulance. He was so light on his feet. You, you saw him, didn't you? Despite his injuries, Joseph Romano was able to walk outside for the ambulance once it arrived. He was rushed to the hospital, but he died two days later from severe head trauma. The Axeman had claimed yet another victim. For those who are familiar with the Axeman's work, the Joseph Romano murder fit his M.O. perfectly. First, and most obviously, the murder weapon, which the authorities found in the backyard, was an axe. You don't get to be called the Axeman without that. Then there was the target, an immigrant. Like Joseph Maggio and Louis Bessemer. And specifically, an Italian immigrant. Like Joseph Maggio. There was how the assailant got into the house. A panel in the back door had been chiseled away. A method the Axeman had used before. And the motive didn't appear to be robbery. Because, as in the other cases, nothing was stolen. Although, there was a difference in this case. The house had been ransacked. So the killer might have been looking for something. Possibly. Still, nothing was taken. 
And of course, there was the niece. That's right. Pauline Bruno had seen the intruder, and so had her sister Mary. So there were finally witnesses. Yes, but unfortunately, it was dark, and he was fleeing. Their description of a dark-skinned, heavy-set man with a dark suit and slouched hat didn't narrow down the list of possible suspects very much. But it did establish once and for all that there was an intruder committing these crimes. That's right. As you remember in the cases of the Maggio murders and the Bessemer attack, the police had focused on perpetrators known to the victims. Now there was concrete evidence that there was a strange man breaking into homes in New Orleans and killing people. Which is not exactly a comforting thought. Indeed. The Romano murder created a state of chaos in the city, with residents living in fear of another Axeman attack. The newspapers had a field day. Wanted! Axe killer on the loose! Police baffled by grisly murder! Panic grips the Big Easy! Who's next? He's coming to get me. I know he is. I heard a scratching at my back door. I'm here in the house all alone. You have to come and help me. I'm too young to die. A few men even called to report they had found axes in their backyard. So the killer was dropping random axes around town? So he'd always have a weapon handy? Sure. Some of it undoubtedly was paranoia. But other reports were chilling. One man called to say he heard someone trying to break in. Hello? Who's out there? Get away! So he shot through his back door. When the police got to his house, they found a chisel lying there. But not the dead body of the Axeman. No, that would be too convenient. In fact, the police didn't have many leads, and scant evidence. But a retired detective, John D'Antonio, himself an Italian immigrant, came forward with a theory. We can't just look at this as a four-month reign of terror. I believe the man who committed the Axeman murders is the same one who killed several victims back in 1911. So he believed this wasn't the Axeman's first killing spree. Which would make sense with a strange clue found near the Maggio house on the night of the first Axeman killings in 1918. You mean the chicken scratch in chalk on the sidewalk that read, Mrs. Maggio will sit up tonight, just like Mrs. Tony. That's right. That could link the murders of Joseph and Catherine Maggio to the killing of Tony Chiambra, also by an axe, back in 1911. But if the Axeman was killing people as far back as 1911, what was he doing in the intervening years between 1911 and 1918? An excellent question. Because people in New Orleans weren't being axe-murdered during that seven-year break. Maybe he was in jail. Maybe he moved out of the city. Maybe he just stopped killing for a while. Who is this guy? We don't know. But retired Detective D'Antonio had developed a profile of the perp. The potential killer is an individual of dual personalities who kills without motive. This type of person is likely to be a normal, law-abiding citizen who goes about normal everyday business, looks normal, acts normal, is normal until suddenly he is overcome with an overwhelming desire to kill. So, a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde type character? Except that was fiction. This is real. And it means the killer could be anyone. A doctor, a lawyer, a policeman. The host of an Unsolved Murders podcast? (laughs) Funny. The irony of the Romano murder is that although it made the citizens of New Orleans more frightened than ever of an impending attack... I don't feel safe anymore. How can you feel safe? Murdered. In their own homes. In their own bed. I can't sleep. That attack didn't come. 
A week went by. And another week went by. And no Axeman. August turned into September. September to October. October to November. And no Axeman. Which raises the obvious question, why? After four attacks in four months, why was the Axeman suddenly inactive? If Detective D'Antonio's theory is true, that it was the same killer in 1911 and 1918, then he went years in between axe murders. In that context, what's a few weeks or a few months? True, but if we just focus on the 1918 killings, his attacks had been growing more frequent. The last two were less than a week apart. Does that sound like a man who's ready to take a break or slow down? Was the city being so vigilant that he didn't want to risk getting caught? It's possible, but seems unlikely. The Axeman was hardly being cautious. Joseph Romano was murdered with his two nieces in the next room. Could the Axeman have been behind bars? It's certainly possible he was in jail for an unrelated crime. Was the Axeman dead? Another theory that's certainly possible. Remember, that was the fall of the great influenza outbreak in New Orleans. What if the Axeman died in the outbreak like thousands of other citizens? No one would ever be the wiser. Except the attacks would stop. That's right. So... It's a waiting game at this point. The Axeman's rampage of terror could be over, or it could just be in hibernation. And we won't know unless he strikes again. And at this point, it had been months from the last Axeman attack. Which is a long time for a city to be on edge. But maybe enough time for people to start feeling safe. Maybe the Axeman's gone. Maybe we're all okay now. But we're not. Our story will continue in a moment after the break. At Sephora, we know how you love to use makeup, skincare, hair care, and fragrances that work for you, but also how important it is to be in the know about the ingredients that are in them, which is why we created Clean at Sephora, curated products from brands like Merit, Amica, Summer Fridays, and Fleur that have everything you want, minus certain ingredients you might not. Clean at Sephora is only at Sephora. Shop now at Sephora.com. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. And now, back to our story. After seven long months, the Axeman strikes again. It's March 10th, 1919. The last attack has been last August. Charles Cordemilia was living with his wife Rosie and their young daughter Mary in Gretna, Louisiana. A suburb of New Orleans across the Mississippi River. On the night of March 10th, <coughs> screams were heard coming from the Cordemilia home. A neighbor, Orlando Giordano, rushed across the street to investigate. <coughs> Rosie stood in the doorway with a grave head wound. But that wasn't the worst part. In her arms was her two-year-old daughter, Mary. 
You have to help her. But it was too late. The little girl was already dead. Also of a head wound. Inside the house, on the floor, was her husband, Charles Cordemelia, bleeding profusely. No! No! The couple, Charles and his wife Rosie, were rushed to the hospital, where it was discovered they both had skull fractures. Although severely injured, they would live. It was a classic Axeman attack. Nothing was stolen from the house, but a panel on the back door had been chiseled away. And a bloody axe was found on the back porch of the home. Charles was released from the hospital two days after the attack, while his wife remained in the care of doctors. But after she regained full consciousness, she made a startling claim. Mrs. Cordemelia, what do you recall of the night of the attack? I was awakened that night by a noise, and I saw my neighbor, Orlando, and his son, Frank, in my room. The boy held my hands while the father went and brought back an axe. And then what happened? Oh, no! The younger took the axe and struck my baby three times on the head. He killed my baby. Then he hit me in the head. I don't remember anymore. She had fingered her 69-year-old neighbor, Iolando Giordano, and his 18-year-old son, Frank. What about her husband, Charles? Did he identify the attackers, too? No. In fact, he vehemently denied the Giordanos were involved. Huh. Sounds like trouble between Charles and his wife, Rosie. It was. Charles and Rosie would soon be divorced. And what other evidence pointed to the Giordanos besides Rosie's testimony? Nothing. And there was clear evidence against their guilt. Iolando Giordano was a frail, elderly man in poor health, and his son Frank was over six feet tall and weighed 275 pounds. He was much too large to have fit through the panel that was chiseled out of the back door. So the police moved on to other suspects. No. The police arrested the Giordanos and charged them with murder. The Giordanos were charged? Not only charged, but the case went to trial. And they were acquitted, right? No. They were found guilty. They were found guilty? You are not going to like the sentencing phase. Iolando Giordano, being found guilty of murder in the first degree, I sentence you to a term of not less than life in prison. What? He got life? Then there was his son, Frank. Frank Giordano, being found guilty of murder in the first degree, I sentence you to hang till death. But they didn't do it. No, they didn't do it. The father sentenced to life and his son is going to hang for a crime they didn't commit. Fortunately, it didn't get that far. Why not? Almost a year later, Rosie Cordemelia had a public change of heart. I did not recognize the Giordanos either by their faces, figures, or voices as the men who killed my baby. But I said it was them on the witness stand because everyone kept saying to me it was them. And because I remember my husband had a fuss with them when we first moved to Gretna. I do not want these people punished because of me. So she recanted. Why? In her own words? Saint Joseph came to me last night and said, Rosie, you cannot die with that boy's life and that old man's liberty on your conscience. Since her statement was the only evidence against the Giordanos, they were released from jail shortly thereafter. Thanks, Rosie, for stepping up. After a year. At least she finally did. And all this time, the real killer, the Axeman, was still out there. Yes, he was. And he could attack at any time. Yes, he could. And sadly, he would. 
Although Rosie Cordemilia, under pressure from authorities, had tried to pin the murder of her daughter on her neighbors, the real perpetrator was still on the loose. And on March 13, 1919... Only three days after the Cordemilia attack... Someone important was about to weigh in on the terror that was sweeping the city. The axe man himself. How did he do that? The city's biggest paper, the New Orleans Times-Picayune, received a letter signed, The Axeman, and postmarked, From Hell. Ooh, that's creepy. It was addressed to esteemed mortal. They've never caught me, and they never will. They've never seen me, for I'm invisible, even as the ether that surrounds your earth. I'm not a human being. But a spirit and a demon from hottest hell. I'm what your lineage and your foolish police call the Axe Man. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the Parcast Network. And now let's continue the story. So he comes right out and identifies himself. If the letter was legitimate, of course. Are you questioning the fact that he claims to be a spirit and a demon and not a human being? It would explain how he was able to get in and out of the houses through those small openings without being caught. Let's just call that a rhetorical flourish. The letter continues. When I see fit, I shall come and claim other victims. I alone know whom they shall be. I shall leave no clue except my bloody axe. Be smeared with blood and brains of whom I have sent below to keep me company. (laughs) Be smeared. Well, he certainly does have a way with words. Oh, and he was just getting going. In his next paragraph, he takes a shot at the police. If you wish, you may tell the police to be careful not to rile me. Of course, uh, I am reasonable spirit. I take no offense at the way they've conducted their investigations in the past. In fact, they've been so utterly stupid as to not only amuse me, but his satanic majesty, Francis Joseph, etc. etc. But tell them to beware. Let them not try to discover what I am. Or it'd be better they were never born than to incur the wrath of the axe man. I don't think there's any need for such a warning, for I feel sure the police will always dodge me, as they always have in the past. They're wise. They know how to keep away from all harm. (laughs) Well, that seems pretty standard for a serial killer, taunting the police. It is pretty standard. I'm a genius, and you're utterly stupid. Although, to be fair, the police weren't doing a very good job with this case. They were making bad arrests left and right. Well, it wasn't an easy case. There wasn't a lot of evidence, and the eyewitness testimony was unreliable. But that shouldn't be an excuse for poor investigative work. True. And surprise, you might not be getting accurate recall from people like Harriet Lowe or Rosie Cordemilia, who had just been hit in the head with an axe. You've made your point. But let's get back to the letter, where the axe man then lays out more of his bona fides. Undoubtedly, Orlinians think of me as the most horrible murderer. Which I am. But it could be much worse if I wanted it to. If I wished, I could pay a visit to your city every night. At will, I could slay thousands of your best citizens, for I am in close relationship with the Angel of Death. At least he's not modest. 
And then the Axemen went on to make a very curious offer. Now, to be exact, at 12.15 earthly time on next Tuesday night, I'm going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I'm going to make a little proposition to you people. Here it is. I'm very fond of jazz music. And I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going, well, so much better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is if some of you people who do not jazz it on Tuesday night, if there be any, will get the axe. Wait, so the Axeman won't attack anyone on a Tuesday night who's listening to jazz? That's what he claims. Are we sure this wasn't written by a guy trying to get his jazz band a booking? (laughs) Hey, it could be worse. The Axeman could have been really into disco. Well, what if it was bad jazz? Would the Axeman kill them anyway? We're making jokes, but the people of New Orleans took this as a legitimate offer. It's a city that takes its spirits and the underworld seriously, especially back then. And after making the offer... The Axeman concluded his letter. Well, as I am cold and crave the warmth of my native Tartarus, it is about time I leave your earthly home. I will cease my discourse. Hoping that thou wilt publish this, that it may go well with thee, I have been, am, and will be the worst spirit that ever existed in either fact or realm of fancy. The Axe. And the newspaper did publish this. Absolutely. And you're saying people took this seriously? Deadly. So what happened on the following Tuesday night? You mean March 19th of 1919? Right, when the Axeman promised to spare anybody listening to jazz. Well, that night, all the dance halls in New Orleans were filled to capacity. And professional and amateur bands played jazz at parties at hundreds of houses around town. And... And you'll have to wait till next time to find out. On the next episode of Unsolved Murders, what happened after the Axeman sent his famous letter? Did he spare those that fateful night who were listening to jazz? And was his killing spree finally over? Plus, we try to narrow down the list of possible suspects. And give our best guess to who could be behind these heinous crimes. What was that? Don't forget to subscribe to Unsolved Murders on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. Or through our website, parcast.com. That's parcast, P-A-R-C-A-S-T, dot com. I definitely heard that. Join the conversation on our Parcast Facebook page. You can tweet us at Parcast Network. That's P-A-R-C-A-S-T, Network. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Wendy McKenzie. We'll see you next time. Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Ron and Max Cutler, digitally engineered by Ron Shapiro, and written by Stephen DeLello. Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories stars Carter Roy and Wendy McKenzie. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Mike Capozzi, Janice Leapart, Kenna McEnroe, Natasha Perez, Stephen Pinto, Gregory Paulson, and Vanessa Richardson. <laughs> <laughs>